Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today, Dave Anderson, and our producer, William Jeffries. And today, we ask why GraphQL is taking over APIs for 2018 and 2019. It's that time again. It's, it's that the time next again. round oh, yeah. in we, the debate. Yeah, we've been talking about <laughs> GraphQL for some time now, a couple of episodes. I think Dave has the list. Yeah, so we asked in episode number 52, is 2018 the year GraphQL takes over? And then we had some hot takes yeah. with Steven, uh-huh. our, our very own Steven in front of the show. A little tough love for GraphQL on that one. <laughs> yeah. but we're going back to the positives, right back today. Right. Yeah, ProCon. Yeah. And today we have a special guest. We have Azat Martin. How's it going, Azat? Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for stopping on by. Azat, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, way to start. <laughs> First of all, I'm a top-selling, best-selling sometimes author of JavaScript and Node.js uh, materials and books. You might have seen some of my books on Amazon. Yeah, I think I've actually read one of your books, uh, React Quickly, for React and GraphQL. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah that, it, was it, it took only two years uh, to write that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a modern feat. Wow. It's kind of amazing because it, it was... a. Uh, pretty digestible so like it didn't take two years to read yeah <laughs> thankfully <laughs> yeah so just just a disclaimer i didn't build any production apps with graphql that were highly trafficked unlike i did with node.js right docusign uh, that's a node.js web app that 50 millions of users are using but i really love graphql and i'm really excited about GraphQL and uh, sharing whatever I learned in the process of writing that book and a few online courses. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's kind of interesting. Like, uh, it, it definitely captures the imagination right now. Like, you know, everyone has an opinion. I saw a thread on Twitter uh, from Nicholas Burke, one of the guys from GraphQL out in Germany, and he was having a conversation with some people, staunch defenders of REST. You know, they're really <laughs> passionate. It was fascinating because, like, I, there was like almost a values-based discussion going on. Right. Like, there's there's REST people and GraphQL people, and yeah, I, I think that there are definitely benefits to both and value in like uh, understanding that. But GraphQL is pretty great. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're here, we're here to talk about that today. We're we're doing all the positive things and trying to get some some of the benefits. Azad, do you have a, a benefit you would like to start as to why GraphQL should be the framework everyone should use for 2018? Yeah, sure. So let's start with uh, you have to make fewer requests. When you work with RESTful APIs, as most of us do, I hope no one still uses SOA or SOL <laughs> RPC or something like that. Ouch. Oh, I'll never tell. <laughs> no, I, 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 have, I have done in the past, but... So it's all GraphQL for me, you know, <laughs> or, or REST. Yeah. But yeah, like that's true. Like having to be being able to get the data in a lot fewer requests, that's that's a pretty nice benefit, especially for something like a mobile application where every time that you send a request over the wire, that's, you know, delays in user experience, you're waiting, but you also spend that battery. I guess in a nutshell, like, you know, GraphQL's sending a query for data over the wire so it's getting back the data in the shape that you asked for it oh interesting that's that's the nutshell version 
Yeah. So it, it's also interesting how like a lot of companies are switching to GraphQL, right? Like there's a, a new GraphQL foundation that's being put together. Anyone know the name of it by any chance? I think it's called GraphQL the Foundation. Ah. <laughs> or the GraphQL Foundation? I don't know. Uh, Lee Byron is going to be heading it up. Azad, do you, do you have any uh, companies that you were really surprised that switched over to GraphQL? Yeah, I actually have a list in front of me when I was preparing for this show. I'm surprised the New York Times uses it because usually every time I go to any news agency or website, they have so much junk on their websites, pop-ups, and it's so slow. So I'm like, wow, New York Times, they use React and GraphQL. Well, maybe things are getting better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they're definitely a serious company that has serious demands. I, I, I've read some of their engineering team's blog posts on, on how they're using it. And it's, it's kind of fascinating. Like they have a lot of metadata and fields oh, yeah. that they have to deal with. Are they using that when they serve up regular articles? Because those articles get in just a crazy amount of traffic. Yeah, yeah, they they do, I believe. And I, I was talking with our colleague, our beloved Adam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he used to work at New York Times and he was kind of pining that he did not have GraphQL when he was working there because they had some really challenging things with a lot of different clients that were consuming mm-hmm. data from feeds in XML form. And those those are the days that you're talking about before is that, right? Yeah, and like if you go to a lot of other news sites, um, the amount of JavaScript they try to basically put down our throats is just incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and going back to the list of companies, yeah. like the list the company that switched to GraphQL, it's, it's huge. And uh, we're talking about internal usage. So you can install Chrome extension and just go to their websites and uh, most of them you will see GraphQL there, but also for public APIs, which is even more interesting use case. Because when you think about public APIs, developer experience matters even more because you don't have that communication with the, with the API team. The documentation needs to be really good and really up-to-date. So companies that use GraphQL for public APIs are Yelp, GitHub, Facebook, and Shopify, among others. And mm. GitHub really surprised me because their version 4, it's GraphQL only. They don't even support RESTful API in their newest version of version 4. What? Why would they? <laughs> it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. Yeah, I, the V4 GitHub API is really like the gold standard. Like basically the team that I'm working on right now, if we have a question about how we should design something, we'll take a look at the GitHub API because it's quite robust. Like they've, they did a really good job with that API designing it. Well, that's a pretty in-depth list. Like, you know, the idea that all these companies are moving forward using GraphQL and replacing REST. I'm not, I, I need to start, you know, picking up some, some of this GraphQL knowledge and pick your brain, Dave. And it's over, Mike. Like, yeah. <laughs> before I'm left in the dirt and have, no. uh, like, what am I going to do with all this rest information? <laughs> no, that's, that's an interesting thing though. Cause I, I, in that thread that I was mentioned earlier with Nicholas, like they're, they were talking to like the people who were in the rest camp were like talking about how like they wanted to be respected still and like their skills still have value and that's that's true like you can't get away from rest like it is so ubiquitous and it's it's everywhere how does graphql deal with caching is it a much better alternative to to rest bobby 
<laughs> yeah it's much it's much better like there's a bit of a learning curve about like how the mechanism starts or how mm-hmm. it's used but you know the apollo client it is a really great yeah tool. i wanted to add that graphql itself doesn't do anything with caching okay GraphQL yeah itself. oh yeah that's true yeah, that's true like graphql does not yeah but then the GraphQL ecosystem of clients such as Apollo, Relay Modern, and I'm sure other languages, they have other clients and implementations. They do pretty amazing things with caching. And uh, for example, in Apollo and Relay Modern, you get it almost for free. Hmm. As between Relay and Apollo, which do you prefer? Is that Apollo? Why Apollo that? only Apollo, Relay Modern, it's too complex. It requires an extra pre-build step. So we need to compile our GraphQL schemas and queries before we can actually run them, which is, I understand why they did it. It's a pretty brilliant, it's a very genius thing to have because it allows you to prefetch some data and to make the performance better, but not all applications need that. So that's an extra complexity which Apollo doesn't have. The learning curve just so much easier with Apollo. That's why I picked it for my course to use it in the course. Yeah, we, we had a similar struggle when William and I were both working at the same client and trying to decide which uh, which direction to go with that. Some some folks were interested in exploring which Relay. Uh, we ended up going with Apollo because of the simplicity and because there was a large team that we had to all learn this new thing at once. And, and Apollo was closer to paradigms that I think we were understanding, like... Redux. Redux, yeah. Redux, right? Like it kind of grew out of Redux and became its own thing. It's like a bit farther from it now, but yeah, it's it's pretty intuitive. I would like to try Relay I, I, one day. <laughs> <laughs> one day. Another difference, if I remember correctly, I haven't used uh, Relay Modern and maybe they changed it, but Relay Modern is, you don't have to use React with it, but Apollo is very React specific. Like you have to use React with Apollo. Hmm. For example, some people who use Vue or Angular, I feel sorry for them, but they can use really modern. Oh, oh wow! Well, they 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 cannot, right? Yeah, that yeah, that's that's interesting. Have you run into any problems with cache invalidation? Is that using GraphQL? Yes, or I run into some using Apollo, I suppose. I think that was actually with Relay. I yeah, I I give up on that one and just use the different implementation. This is the thing that I remember us running into. So instead of actually using caching, I was just fetching on demand in that particular case. Mm. Yeah, right. Like just just setting the option, like, let me not deal with the cache right now. Yeah, we did have that that problem and it continues (laughs) to haunt people. But (laughs) like, I think for for the most part, we, we have figured out, you just have to design your requests and responses properly. And as I mentioned, I don't have that much like high-level, deep, advanced uh, experience. So you probably know more about those edge cases than me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more kind of a hello world guy. <laughs> <laughs> you just yeah. literally wrote the book on it <laughs> it's actually better to write books about hello worlds they don't change that much <laughs> note yeah. to self <laughs> what are some other benefits that you 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 find really compelling to switch to graphql people like typescript or flow 
more people like TypeScript. Yes, I like to. I don't know why people use Flow. Use TypeScript. <laughs> if you're listening, if you're using Flow, stop. Use TypeScript. That's fired. Why do people like like uh, TypeScript because of typing? So GraphQL gives us typing for the data, and strong typing has a lot of benefits as in any other technologies such as Protobuf or some other typing such as in Java. So with strong types, we have better, and the systems are more robust because the client and uh, the backend, now they can communicate more predictably with the schema. And also we can do some type of optimization, such as really modern doing. And also we can enforce better validation, which improves security. Some RESTful APIs, they try to do uh, JSON-based types but the standard is all over the place. So why reinvent the wheel when we can just use GraphQL? It's already standard. Yeah, that's that's true. Like there are some competing JSON schema standards out there, which I guess that that's always what happens. Like when you have, oh, let me let me make one thing that will unite them all. It's like just one more standard, and then There's you have, 30, and then you have thirty-seven <laughs> other standards. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, like having having the typing like built into GraphQL is pretty huge like like not only for the reasons that you're mentioning about like the benefits that it gives you for security and for predictability but also in terms of like developer happiness and productivity like i can look at this field and it is self-documented that this is going to be a string or this is going to be a date or a number or what have you and like having having that like built in as a first class citizen instead of an afterthought i think is really powerful yeah, it's hard to argue with the documentation quality in strongly typed uh, domains. Yeah, sell documentation basically almost for free. We get the documentation. And then uh, we have that graphical, right, which is a nice editor where we can just play like a sandbox, try out our queries, no more postman. Yeah, that that's really wonderful for new devs on my team. Like, like People are always like amazed when you can just open a browser window and just explore and play around with data. I think that's 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 definitely something like that is proven through science, I think, that like if you can play with something, then you can learn easier. And you know, you can try little experiments and, and see what, what happens. And that's using graphical you mentioned, Azap? Yes, graphical, it usually comes with uh, the GraphQL library when you install it with Node.js. It just automatically sits in the browser. You can use it. Yeah, yeah. There are some other ones too, like uh, GraphQL Playground, I think is another one. That That's also uh, a little bit more robust feature. Chrome.cool has a good editor as well. And that's opposed of using like, say if I was still a restful person, I would have to use Postman, right? That's like the equivalent to Postman? Yeah, more or less. Pretty much, yeah. But it's just so much easier to hook into graphical and get data, it seems. Yeah, Postman's not going to like hold your hand and like show you the documentation and autocomplete when right. you're typing. Oh, like, no, definitely doesn't. <laughs> Postman does not help at all, ever. <laughs> Love you, Postman. You're great. It's, Shout out to Postman post, team. Yeah, Postman's great. I use it with uh, GraphQL requests sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> What are some of the new developments in the GraphQL ecosystem that you're particularly excited about? Uh, well, Prisma is uh, is pretty interesting. Prisma, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't dug into that too much. What is Prisma, and like, what what do you find exciting about it? It's it's by the same team that developed Graph.cool. Graph.cool 
backend as a service, you, you get a link and you can use GraphQL. With Prisma, you basically have your backend or APIs, and then you get GraphQL interface. So Prisma sits in the middle between whatever APIs you have. Because the biggest use case for GraphQL, it's not to build APIs from scratch. A lot of companies, especially big companies, they, they do have their legacy APIs already. So the biggest use case and the biggest win for GraphQL is to sit in the middle and mm. as this middle layer that will provide very nice data, aggregate data, make multiple calls, also do all, all the nice things that developers like, and users also, it, it can improve the um, performance of applications. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a pretty neat application of it to, to glue together things because I guess like no matter what you do you're going to have that one API that you can't really get rid of and putting GraphQL in front of it will help you standardize the interface of it standardize the documentation of it and maybe even eventually help you deprecate it and get rid of it completely if you're trying to get rid of like that legacy system yeah, I think uh, GraphQL has some advantages when it comes to paginating. Is that right? Yes. GraphQL provides support. And uh, basically, in your queries, you can describe what type of the filtering, pagination, how, how all of that is can be implemented. So if, if we try to do the same thing with RESTful APIs, it will take more ingenuity. You will basically have to ask what is the sorting orders, like skip, offset, all those parameters, they need to be passed either in the URL or some other way. GraphQL can take all that in the query, which is more natural, but it's better to read. And for backend engineers as well, for the API engineers, one, they implement it once, they don't have to worry about it. Clients, they will have the control to request whatever they need in terms of pagination, sorting, and filtering, and whatever other parameters needs to be supported. Yeah, I, I think that um, the relay pattern for pagination is is pretty powerful with the cursor-based uh, pagination. And like having a standard way to, to do that that's kind of generally accepted in, in, in the GraphQL community is, is pretty great. And the flexibility you get from having the ability to add arguments to any field uh, for sorting and filtering and, and whatnot. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, it feels a lot like you're just talking directly to your database, you know, just like the same way that you could do pagination of results and sorting pretty easily if you were writing SQL. Although that sort of raises a question, if you have an API that allows you to feel like you're basically just talking to your database, how do you prevent other people from coming in and ruining all your data? What are the security implementations of an API so powerful? That's a great question. Security is super important. The way some services, uh, some GraphQL services and APIs implemented is by using API keys. So either a token and a secret or just API key. Uh, it could be all authorization. It's a, an application-based uh, authorization and ACL, access control level authorization. Then each individual field it, ha- it could have its own permissions. So for example, read, write, etc. This is not related to GraphQL as much as implementation of the GraphQL backend. So GraphQL is a protocol that tells you this is the query, uh, this is the data types, and this is the output. And then what 
developers, what we do on the back end, that's pretty much up to us. It's almost the same metaphors that uh, I like to give. The framework can provide some security measures, but some developers would still make security mistakes, right? So same thing with GraphQL, it's like it's it's possible to create a bad API. Absolutely, right. GraphQL would not prevent. What GraphQL helps with is that less data is transferred to the client. So for example, I have a user collection and a user's first name, last name, email address, social security number, phone number, et cetera. So not all the clients, they need the social security, right? We should be able to restrict that access. But the API from the outside looks exactly the same. Mm. That's the benefit of GraphQL. Right. And that you would just have a field level authentication or authorization for that particular piece of data. A lot of flexibility. But you do have to be aware that you can make that hop from the post to the user to their social security number. And you have to keep that in mind. I think you're pretty expert, not just in the field of GraphQL, but also in educating people about GraphQL. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges around teaching people this kind of a paradigm? The biggest obstacle and the biggest challenge is that for years and years and years, I think at least 10 years, the best thing since the slice of bread was the RESTful APIs. Oh, yes. <laughs> we were just hammered, right? It's like everywhere you go, it's like, this is GET, this is POST, uh, Ruby on Rails. They did a lot of that. You just uh, execute something. And you guys work in, uh, with clients, right? So probably you're familiar with this model to hold Ruby on Rails. They grew out of that model. Oh, yeah. Got, got so many arguments about what is the most restful form of this API. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does it truly mean? Yeah, we build those controllers uh, in Java, in Ruby, and Python. We build complex, very, very complex and rich single-page application, which are not single-page anymore, but we still call them single-page. And we call those RESTful APIs. But a lot of times, some of the, those calls, they don't make sense. For example, I'm signing up or I'm logging in. So there is no post slash sign up, right? So sign up is not a real database table. It's not a MongoDB collection. It's a virtual endpoint that will create a record in the user's collection with my password and username. So that's a limitation of RESTful APIs, but developers are very smart, so they found out how to live with those limitations of RESTful APIs, and they're pretty comfortable, and they don't want to change. It's just a human nature. People don't like to change, and uh, they become very religious and very against anything new. They have their, their tooling, Going back to Postman, they have their frameworks. It, it works. They know how to test it. Yeah, so that's the biggest, like, how, how do you make people not being afraid? And uh, education is good for that. So it's showing them this is actually works. Uh, this is easier. This is, makes sense with React. It's natural with Node.js. Let's try using it small and then find a way to use it in your project. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. Like it does, it is kind of a big, a big leap to go from. Uh, the most pushback I, I get is from backend developers. The front front end developers and mobile developers, they get it right away. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I think as a full stack developer, like I, 
I have more of a perspective on that too. Yeah. But like if, if you, you know, tell someone that you have to learn a completely different tool chain in order to be productive and nothing makes sense that used to make sense, then that's, that's definitely a challenge. Another confusion, some people are very, very confused about like where the data comes from. Right. I keep explaining them there is a resolver and then the resolver is just a function. You put whatever code you want. You can call your gRPC, your thrift, you can call the database, uh, you can read from a file system. Like that's where you put the code and it's in the schema. Mm. But <laughs> there are blank stairs, people still don't understand. <laughs> Have you have you dug much into data loaders? No, what is it? Data loader is like a a paradigm for batch loading of data in uh, GraphQL. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, but it's it's another layer of abstraction to kind of wrap your head around if you want a performant GraphQL API. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of been a challenge for me because I think the documentation is pretty thin. There's not many blog posts. So you're kind of like on your own when you start to have that scaling issue, trying to learn how, how to do things in a good way. Yeah, also the schema stitching. Oh, yeah. Schema stitching, was it? Well, schema stitching. Oh, what is that? So it's like when you have a lot of microservices and a lot of schemas, and then you try to have one GraphQL or few of them, GraphQL APIs, so you need to stitch the schemas. So so like uh, someone reaches out for certain pieces of information that has to go through different microservices, you have to stitch the data and then give it back to the to the user? Yeah, more or less. So it's like combining multiple schemas into one. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty neat concept. It's like, I like the idea of it. Mostly been dealing with a, a monolith, but it seems seems like an interesting idea if you're trying to have like a microservice or if you're integrating with a third party API like GitHub, you can glue some GitHub data into your schema somehow. I do something crazy. I don't know. We gotta kinda do some prof dev. Just figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> do, do a little project. St- do some stitching. I have a question. So in writing your book on GraphQL, what was the most fun you had to to when writing this book? Like what was the concept that you felt was the most important for your readers to to know? That's a tough question because I I had a lot of fun writing pretty much all the chapters and uh, I would find time when I would fly to a conference. I remember I was in Oslo. I I spoke at NDC Oslo conference and uh, I was sitting in their coffee shop and writing a few chapters and editing. So those are wonderful memories. But uh, I think I had a, a blast, especially in the beginning, explaining like the, the easy concept and some of the history with web development and uh, front-end and back-end. And I cracked a lot of jokes and people seem to like that. Nice. Yeah, jokes, <laughs> keep, jokes will get me. <laughs> yeah, jokes will get me reading. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to mention also is that GraphQL improves the speed of development. How so? This is uh, just my anecdotal evidence. <laughs> I don't have any hard data to prove. But think about it this way. So when you have a separate backend and frontend team or mobile team, you tend to have more meetings just to understand what the API needs to look like, what the client needs in terms of fields and resources. And then you have other meetings to hand off the work. And then you have another meetings because there are bugs and uh, you need to fix or there are new requirements 
there is new UI, you need to basically go back to the API team and uh, tell them like, hey, we need additional field or we need something different. And the API team, team they tell you, well, we're busy. We we have a release schedule. We missed it. So come back in a month. Yeah. That happens, that happens way too often right now. <laughs> if you got those problems, you got to listen to episode number 82, Seven Wastes of Software Development. That's all over the wastes. It's all about waiting and oh, all that bad stuff. Right. So go back to your point, Azat. With GraphQL, if I can just reach into whatever piece of data, I don't need to iron out any JSON contracts within the backend team because I'm able to just retrieve whatever data necessary to display it to the user. Is that correct? Absolutely. And that allows us, the client developers, uh, mobile and front-end developers, to iterate and make changes way faster. That's what makes the difference in this competitive world where companies ship to production multiple times per day, right? You don't want to waste time. You, you need to be as fast as possible, as agile as possible. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, if you need to iterate quickly and exactly, you make, like, a small set of fields and maybe it suits your needs for now, and then the, they might expand to a larger set over time or, you know, maybe initially the requirements are that we only need, you know, the name of the book on the page but then eventually they need the isbn it's like okay i don't need to go add that to the back end we already have it we, we get it's already we decided it's a it's completely new product which no one knows right now but like a month from now they can just build it using your graphql api oh, yeah wow. I, yeah i would i would say i have anecdotal evidence that would confirm that although a little bit slower in the front end when you are laying the groundwork uh, but as soon as you get those Legos in place, then you can you can really build a lot faster. Right, because you can retrieve whatever data you want, regardless of what the backend team is serving up. As long as they're serving up the data necessary for you to complete the work, then everything is fine and dandy with GraphQL, as opposed to REST, where they have to go and make updates to the JSON contract and all sorts of gnarly things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his software is still software engineering, so you still got to do that. I, I like working full stack with GraphQL because it, it, you don't have to ask that guy for, for the field. You just If it's missing, you just add it. So what are some instances of times when you really don't want to use GraphQL? That's a fair question because in technology, oftentimes there's no perfect solution, right? So it's good to know and use the best tool for the job. So I wouldn't recommend using GraphQL when all you are building and all your clients need are just a simple CRUD-based, create, read, update, delete-based, resource-based API. For example, slash users, slash resume, slash resume ID. So uh, there is no pagination, there is no sorting, there is no filter. It's just a simple CRUD-based, resource-based API. That's fine. GraphQL would be probably a necessary abstraction and uh, could slow down the performance and uh, just another layer, right? Another reason why people shouldn't use GraphQL or should be careful is when they need to load multiple resources on the front end asynchronously, independently. So we're not talking about nested resources, but uh, resources that are independent of each other. 
So by loading them in parallel, and maybe you can use HTTP2, probably you should use HTTP2, then uh, you'll get better results than combining everything into a single request. And there are other reasons as well. Someone who is not planning to make frequent changes, someone who is not planning to roll out a new product or expose API to public, they invested a lot of time and effort and money into their RESTful APIs. So if it's working and there's no changes in the future, if it's a mature product, that's, that's why go and re-implement and introduce new bugs. I see no reason. <laughs> yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. Unless you have to. <laughs> Unless you have to use GraphQL. Unless it's ES5, then we'll have to. <laughs> yeah. Azat, where do you see the future of GraphQL? We're in 2018 right now. Uh, as we mentioned before, it should take over APIs in the future. But where do you see it within the next year, three years, five years, and beyond? Well, I think it's already uh, took over a lot of APIs in a lot of companies internally and publicly. And this was very surprising to me. I didn't expect it at all. I looked at GitHub, as I mentioned, and wow, there's no REST API. And uh, Facebook and Shopify, some other big examples. So the future is bright. The future is so bright, we'll all have to wear sunglasses. <laughs> GraphQL sunglasses, I'm ready. <laughs> the more backend as a service tools, the AWS, Azure, Google Cloud would be supporting more of GraphQL tools and services on their cloud platforms. I think there would be a consolidation in the market of, of the open source tools and of the backend as a service. Uh, things such as Prisma and Graph.cool, there used to be a lot of them. Now some of them are running out of money and there would be a consolidation. So we'll have clear two or three winners in terms of GraphQL uh, backend as a service. People will, uh, will, we are getting into mainstream. It looks like we're getting into mainstream adoption. Remember that curve. There is uh, early adopters, laggers, mainstream, et cetera, et cetera. So there's like five stages. Yeah, we're getting into mainstream, and uh, it wouldn't be surprising in a two or three years that people will develop GraphQL first and RESTful maybe second or maybe not at all. I guess I got to start learning now. Like if I if I don't learn now, I'm gonna be left <laughs> in the dirt. I'm gonna I'm gonna be burned. <laughs> uh, you got a course? You got a course? Is that? <laughs> I think you have a code for it. Oh, oh yeah, this is a good transition. Awesome. Azat was kind enough. Tell us a little bit about the course before I uh, give him the spiel. It's a course on Manning, Manning Publications, a famous book publisher. Now they, they got into videos. And uh, I love their video platform. It's better than Pluralsight. So they have all the transcription at the bottom. And uh, basically, it follows the video and the audio. So you can just click anywhere in the text. And boom, it jumps straight to that point. So let's say you saw some snippet of code, you want an explanation, so you can jump right to that. You cannot do that on YouTube. You cannot do that on Pluralsight or Udemy. It's amazing. And I created a course with Manning. And the course is short. That's that's why I recommend it. I don't spend five hours or 10 hours <laughs> on, on the basics. It's, it's basic. It will get you started. And then uh, you, can, you can take it from there. Where's the where's the course located? Where can people go to see the course? Uh, Manning Manning Live Video, so Manning GraphQL, Apollo, in Google. That that should 
get the results. And I'm sure you'll put it in the notes. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely put a link in the show notes. What is that secret code? I got it right here. So for our listeners, there is a 40% discount code. 40%? 40%. Gosh. Yeah. Azal was kind enough to bless us with the discount code. Thank you so much, first off, for allowing us to share the discount code. It is pod rabbit hole 18. That's P-O-D-R-A-B-B-I-T-H-O-L-E-1-8. The number is 1-8. Uh, we'll definitely try to get this on the show notes so that individuals can go and check it out and subscribe and check out the video. And we'll try to add as much information as possible. Azat, how can people contact you? Everyone, go on LinkedIn and connect with me and write what are you doing with GraphQL and uh, how you like this uh, this podcast. I love getting feedback. So just LinkedIn, Azat Marden, A-Z-A-T-M-A-R-D-A-N. Awesome. It was a pleasure having you on the show, Azat. Thank you. It was fun. Do you have any Twitter? You got, you got a Twitter action or? Yeah, I have Twitter, Azat Marden. Uh, I have a website. It's just azat.co without the m azat.co where i have all the links to twitter uh, linkedin facebook instagram youtube podcasts books videos <laughs> manning <laughs> graphql we were just javascript no we're sure i'm building the brand there you go awesome <laughs> awesome check it out <laughs> azat thanks so much thanks for coming on down it was fun Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.